0: And such were some of you. One of the most powerful statements in the scripture in my opinion. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Aren't you thankful for the word of God today? Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. Another powerful verse of scripture found in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Amen. think somebody's getting on board. Praise the Lord. And then one more powerful scripture in John 8:36, Jesus said, "If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I want to preach to you today about the amazing grace of God. The amazing grace of God. Thank the Lord. I want somebody to leave here today knowing your worth. I want somebody to leave here today knowing your worth. Y'all still haven't heard me today. The grace of God makes us the most valuable commodity on this planet. As far as God is concerned. It's all going to be consumed and go away one day. But not the church. We're going to be caught away out of here in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. But he has built a massive fortune for the church somewhere in eternity. Thank the Lord. So today I preach to someone here today and even someone may be watching on live stream about the amazing grace of God. Everybody say thank God for the word. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. In Joshua chapter 2 verse 1, the Bible said, And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab, and they lodged there. Now, if God spoke to two men today to go do that, the, the media would just, I don't know if they'd make it back unscathed or not, but God told them to do this. The time had come for the Hebrew people to enter the Promised Land. The time had come for the Hebrew people to enter into the Promised Land. Their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness was over. And in front of them was Jericho, a formidable town that sat just north of the Dead Sea, became their first challenge. Canaanites indwelled the city of Jericho, to call the people of Jericho Barak is to describe the North Pole as nippy. These people turned temple worship into orgies. They buried babies alive. The people of Jericho had no regard for human life and no respect for God. It was into this city that the two spies of Jericho crept in. It was in this city that the spies met Rahab the harlot. Much could be said about Rahab without mentioning her profession. She was a Canaanite. She provided cover for the spies of Joshua. She came to believe in the God of Abraham before she ever met the children of Abraham. She was spared the destruction of her city She was grafted into the Hebrew culture. She married a contemporary of Joshua's, bore a son named Boaz, had a great-grandson named Jesse, a great-great-grandson named David, and even a descendant later on named Jesus. Yes, Rahab's name appears in the family tree of Christ. I'm talking to you about the amazing grace of God. Her resume needn't mention her profession. Yet in five of the eight appearances of her name in Scripture, she is presented as a harlot. Five times. Would not one suffice? And couldn't that one reference be nuanced in a euphemism such as, Rahab, the best hostess? In Jericho, or Rahab who made everyone feel welcome. It's bad enough that the name Rahab sounds a whole lot like Rehab. She's mentioned five times as a harlot. But those of you that know the Word of God and study it, the number five in the Bible is symbolic of grace. And the scripture I'm preaching to you about the amazing grace of God. You might want to suggest, describe her career choice. Let's put a veil on it, let's mask it. Put a little congealer on this biblical blemish. Drop the reference to the brothel if you don't mind. But the Bible does it, just the opposite. It points a neon sign at it. It's even attached to her name in the book of Hebrews Hall of Fame. The list includes Abel and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and then all of a sudden, the harlot Rahab. No asterisks, no footnote, no apology. Her history of holotry is a part of her testimony. Her story begins something like this. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 2, And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. The king could see the multitude of the Hebrews camped on Jordan's eastern banks. As Rahab would later disclose, the people of Jericho were scared to death. Word on the street? was that God had his hand on the newcomers and woe unto anyone who got in their way. Joshua had shown up with the soon-to-be promised land occupiers, as I preached to you several weeks ago. When the king heard that the spies were hiding at Rahab's house, he sent soldiers to fetch them. I'm seeing about a half a dozen soldiers squeeze down the narrow cobblestone path In the red light district, it's late at night. The torch lit, taverns are open, and the patrons are a few sheets to the wind. They yell obscenities at the king's men, but the soldiers don't react. The guards just keep walking until they stand before the wooden door of a stone building that abuts the famous Jericho walls. The lantern unlit, leaving the soldiers to wonder if anyone was even at home. The captain pounds on the door. There's a shuffling noise inside. Rahab answers. Her makeup is layered. Her eyes are shadowed. Her voice is husky from perhaps one cigarette too many. She positions one hand on her hip, holds a dirty martini in the other. Sorry, boys, she said. We're booked for the night. The captain snaps back at her. We're not here for that. We're here for those two Hebrew men. I can see her stepping out onto the porch. Looks to the right, looks to the left, and then lowers her voice to a whisper. You just missed them. They snuck out the gates before they were shut. If you get a move on real quick, you can catch them. And off they went. They disappear around the corner. Rahab hurries up the brothel stairs to the roof where the two spies have been hiding. And she tells them the coast is clear. The whole city is talking about you, she said. They're talking about your armies. Everyone is scared to death. The king can't sleep. The people can't eat. They're popping Xanax like Tic Tacs. The last ounce of courage left on the morning train. I'm using the the MPV today, the Murphy paraphrase version of the Bible. Her words must have stunned those two spies. They had never expected to find cowards in Jericho. And even more, they never expected to find faith in a brothel. But they did. Notice what Jericho's shady lady had to say to them. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that your terror is falling upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our heart did melt neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you.
1: For the Lord your God,
0: He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. This is the testimony of a harlot. To our knowledge, has had no prior experience with anybody that knew God. I will submit to you again, she knew the God of Abraham long before she met the children of Abraham. But don't forget my subject today. I'm preaching to you about the amazing grace of God, that God can bestow grace on anybody, anywhere, anytime. You don't have to be a special somebody to be a recipient of the grace of God you can be an old raspy voice harlot that owns a brothel and if God chooses for his presence to go behind that big thick wooden door and melt the old crusty heart of that woman it doesn't matter who you are what matters is who God is oh Hallelujah. So what do you know? Rahab found God. Better worded, God found Rahab. He spotted a tender heart in this hard city and reached out to save her. May I submit to you again today, I believe he would have saved the entire city had they asked him. believe that Rahab maybe had a little bit of an advantage over the other people. Rahab had nothing to lose. She was at the bottom of the rung. She had already lost her reputation, her social standing, her chance for an advancement. She was at the bottom of the pit. Perhaps that is where somebody here today or somebody even watching live stream may feel. What does life have to offer me? I submit to you today, you may or may not sell your body, but maybe you've sold your allegiance, your affection, your attention, and your talents. You've sold out. Everybody in this building at some point in life have sold out. We've all wandered. We've all wandered away deeper and deeper into sin. And it leaves a person feeling no worth. No value. I submit again today, my heart is passionate about this message, that sin will leave you worthless, hence the grace of God. There's something amazing about his unmerited favor that he can look at the most destitute. He can look into the mind of the person that we think has everything, but they feel like they have nothing. As a matter of fact, they feel like they are nothing. They have no worth. But in comes boldly, without reservation, without compromise, without any being faint-hearted, without worrying and fretting. Here comes the grace of God, and it can be bestowed on anybody, anywhere, anytime, on any occasion. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what life was like yesterday. It doesn't matter what you're facing tomorrow. When the grace of God steps into your life, you become the most valuable commodity that God has on this planet. We drove him to Calvary's cross so that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. You may feel like I can never become a promised land occupier. I can never have what all these other people have. I can't have that smile. I can't have that security. I can't have that peace. Perhaps it's for that person and that person, but not for me. I'm too soiled, too dirty, too afflicted. I've sinned too much. I've stumbled too often. I've floundered too long. I'm on the garbage heap of society. No becoming a part of God's family. Is not for me, but God has one a one-word reply for people who doubt the promise of God. And that word is simply Rahab. Lest we think God's promised land is promised to a chosen few, notice what God does. He positions Rahab's story in the very front of the book of Joshua. The narrator gives her an entire chapter. She gets more inches of type in the Bible than do the priest, the spies, and even Joshua's right-hand man. If quantity and chronology mean anything in theology, the Rahab's headline position announces this, that God has a place for the rehabs of the world. There's a place in God's church for those that don't feel welcomed anywhere else. For those that don't feel accepted anywhere else. There's a place in God's kingdom for whosoever will, the Bible said. Everybody clap your hands to the Lord this morning. To continue to drive the point home as evidence of what I'm saying could we consider Rahab's New Testament counterpart, the Samaritan woman? By the time Jesus met her, she was on a first century version of a downward spiral. Five ex-husbands, perhaps a half a dozen kids, each looking like a different daddy. Decades of loose living had left her tattooed and tabooed and living with a boyfriend who thought a wedding was a waste of time. Gossipers wagged their tongues about her. How else could we explain her midday appearance at the water well? The other, more prominent women of that society filled their water buckets at sunrise. But this woman opted for noon, preferring, I suppose, the heat of the sun over the heat of the scorn of the other women. Were it not for the appearance of a stranger, her story would have been lost in the Samaritan sands. But he entered her life with a promise of endless water and a quenched thirst. He wasn't put off by her past. Just the opposite. He offered to make her life beautiful, livable, and worthwhile. And she accepted his offer. We know that because of what happened next. And many of the Samaritans, the Bible said, of that city believed on him, Jesus, for the saying of the woman which testified that he told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, Now we believe. Not because of what you said, but because we have heard him ourselves and know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Does anybody hear the word of God? We don't have any worth in our secular world today, but in God's world, the grace of God gives you value and importance and makes you worthy of the promise of God. God, I feel the Holy Ghost here today.
1: God, I feel
0: your presence here Let's clap our hands again to the Lord. I feel his presence here today. <laughs> Hallelujah to God. I know there's people here today under the sound of my voice that understand totally what I'm talking about. If everything will revealed about everything we've ever done, Very few of us would like the courage to step into this church again. Everybody has things in the closet. We have our thoughts. We have perhaps even our private practices. But there's people here tonight that your story has been headlined around by this person and that person. And it's made Facebook and all the social media outlets and all the mistakes you've made and the things you've done. But there's been one thing you could always go to. There's been one thing you could always stand on. That if I can get the presence of God back into my life. And you know what? Church works. Yes, it does. I know there's, there's, there's pockets of churches and whatnot. If you're familiar with Pentecost, any other denomination for that matter, there's always a sense of you feel like you're being judged. But we, we, we had dinner uh, or some fellowship this past week with somebody in They said one of the most awesome things about Grace Church is you can walk in and you don't feel judged. And I believe the church has, by the will and purpose of God, inherited that attribute of God. That if God wants to judge you at all, all He wants to do is increase your value. Y'all didn't hear what I just said. If God comes in and says, hey, we need to have a chat. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to convict you. To increase your value does anybody understand you remember the scripture there's therefore now no condemnation do you understand the value you feel when you're out from under that shadow of condemnation and judgment he who the son sets free is free indeed i'm preaching about the amazing grace of god and all of us here today could throw our hands in the air and our face toward heaven and say, I have value and worth today that is eternal, that is immeasurable, and it's all because of the grace, the grace of God. Hallelujah. You remember the story of the blind man in John chapter 9? It was one of the miracles Jesus performed to affirm His being Messiah is to heal a person blind from their birth. Jesus did that in John chapter 9. I love the story. I love how it unfolds. And I believe Jesus is very strategic. He just didn't heal the blind man and go on His way. He wanted to indulge that a little while. He gave it some scriptural attention. He wanted people to understand. When you understand this man was blind from his birth... Jesus and his disciples walked by one day, and the disciples asked Jesus, Who did sin? See where humanity defaults? We want to throw blame, we want to cast judgment. Who did sin? This man or his parents, and he was born blind? Jesus said, Neither. I want this man, I'm sorry he's lived all these years in darkness. But I had to do it this way so that he would know his worth and so that you would know his worth. So watch what the glory of God does. Jesus touched him, and he was healed immediately, could see perfectly. Buddy, that sent off a hell storm through that area. It was unbelievable. The Pharisees got involved in it, the religious leaders of that day that were supposed to be so compassionate and loving and understanding and wanting their churches to grow and all of that. They asked the man, or his parents, how is it that he could see? They knew he was born blind. And the parents said, well, we heard that Jesus did it, but they deferred, scared to death of being judged. They said, the, the, our son is of age. He's an adult. He was the one that was healed. Go ask him. And it's amazing to me what the grace of God does. It enlightens the blind more than it does those with sight. Out of the mouth of babes, buddy. Out of the mouth of babes. I've heard more theologians and Pentecost mess up scripture. And you get this new convert that prayed through last Sunday. And it'll make two or three sentences. And you're like, wow. He must be a prophet or whatever. No, he's not. He sees more in his three days of knowing Jesus than you've seen in the past 30 years of knowing Jesus. And that's what happened here. So they went to the man and said, what happened? And he quickly answered to them. And said, I'm not wading into your theological trap here. What I do know is that I was born blind. Let me read it. In John chapter 9, verse 25, he answered and said, Whether he, Jesus, be a sinner or no, I know not. But this one thing I do know whereas I was blind, now I see. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Enough said! Enough said! That's a mouthful right there! How many here today? could put a word in that blank I was of that but now I'm born again I'm filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost my sin has been forgiven I've been redeemed I've been set free what I was before I'm not anymore Woo. when Sister Murph and I were evangelists feels like a hundred years ago We used to sing a song once in a while that said, If you had known me before I knew him, then you would know why I love him. So they said to him again, What did he, Jesus, do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he said, I have told you already, and you did not hear. I love this man's attitude. I just, I like this guy. I've told you and you didn't hear me. So would you hear it again if I repeated it? I mean, would you become His disciples? He's talking to the Pharisees from the temple. Would you become a disciple if I told you my testimony again? Talk about an indictment against the religious world. Well, then they reviled Him. The Pharisees reviled Him and said, Thou art His disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke unto Moses. As for this fellow Jesus, we know not from whence He is. The man answered the blind man, sat in darkness all of his life, said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is, and yet he has opened my eyes. I'm, a, I'm working on a sermon. I'm going to preach more of this later. But here it comes. Here comes the answer. Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he hears. Just worship God a little bit. And you got all of God you can handle. The amazing grace of God. Since the world began, they said, it was not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind, hence proven Jesus as Messiah. The blind man said, if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. What a revelation of the grace of God where this man was nothing but a blind beggar. Now, he was the center of all conversation. But more than that, he became a recipient, an unworthy, undeserving recipient of the one miracle that Jesus performed to prove his Messiahship. This man understood his worth when he got his healing. I was, but now, he said. This is the course of grace. It's the course of amazing grace. God's amazing grace. This is the work of God and what a work He did in the life of Rahab. The Hebrew spies, as it turns out, they weren't really spying, they were actually missionaries. They thought they were on a reconnaissance trip, they weren't. God needed no scouting report. His plan was to collapse the city walls like a stack of dominoes. He didn't send the men to collect data. He sent spies to reach Rahab. They told her to bind a rope, a scarlet card, in her window so they could identify her house. And without hesitation, she obeyed. The spies escaped and Rahab made preparation. She told her family to get ready. She kept an eye out for the coming army. She checked the card to make sure it was tied securely and dangling from the window. And when the Hebrews came and the walls fell, when the Hebrews came and the walls fell, everyone else perished. Rahab and her family we're saved. The Bible said in Hebrews 11, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish. Her profession of faith mattered more than her profession as a harlot. There may be somebody here today, and I know there is. Your past is a checkered one. Maybe your peers don't share your faith Maybe your pedigree is one of violence. Your ancestry is one of rebellion, immorality. If so, then this harlot in the Bible named Rahab has all of a sudden become your model. We don't drop scarlet cards from our window, but we trust the crimson thread of the blood of Christ. We don't prepare for the coming of the Hebrews, but we do live with an eye toward the second coming of Jesus. This whole entire story was orchestrated to illustrate one single point. And how brazing and how powerful the grace of God can be when people are a willing recipient of it. If you'll stand with me today, I have a very peculiar closing for this message. Would you know my name if I saw you in heaven? Would it be the same if I saw you in heaven? These questions are asked in the lyrics to the song Tears in Heaven. Written by the emotionally wrought guitar idol, Eric Clapton. Released in 1991, it charted in the top ten in more than twenty countries and won Grammys for the Song of the Year, Album of the Year, and the Best Male Pop Vocal Performance. Though it achieved incredible international success, the creation of the song, like many adored ballads and laments, was heavily influenced by the emotional state of the Creator. For Clapton, it arose out of the pain following the accidental death of his four-year-old son, Connor, and it is infused with all the loss, heartache, and longing of a grieving parent. Clapton went cold when he learned about his son's accidental death. Clapton's son with his ex-girlfriend, Italian actress Lori Del Santo, was playing in the New York City apartment he shared with his mother on the morning of March twentieth, 1991. Connor fell accidentally to his death from the 53rd floor residence through a window that had been inadvertently left open following janitorial work in the apartment. Clapton was staying in a hotel nearby and was preparing to pick up Connor for a planned father-son lunch and a visit to the Central Park Zoo. The first thing I knew was a telephone call from their apartment, Clapton said. I was actually getting ready to go out of the hotel room to go pick him up for lunch lori was on the other end of the phone and she was hysterical saying he was dead and i could not let myself believe it clapton said he went cold and shut down right away after hearing the news in a state of disbelief the singer remembers rushing from his hotel to the apartment block where he saw ambulances and fire engines and paramedic vehicles outside upon entering the apartment then filled with emergency service responders. Clapton recalls feeling like the scene had nothing to do with him. He said, I felt like I walked into someone else's life. He said, I still feel like that. Connor's funeral was held two days prior to the performer's 46th birthday. The funeral of their son, Connor, was in Ripley, England on March the 28th, 1991. I shared this story with you for this reason, it's because of two of the lines in the lyrics that Clapton wrote when he composed the song Tears in Heaven. The words of the song are like this Would you know my name, he asked, if I saw you in heaven? He's writing this to his four year old son Would it be the same if I saw you in heaven? He asked. I must be strong and carry on. Here's the line I want you to hear. He said, because I know I don't belong here in heaven. He said, he asked, would you hold my hand if I saw you in heaven? He's writing this to his four-year-old son. Would you help me stand if I saw you in heaven? I'll find my way through night and day because I know I just can't stay here in heaven. I imagine, if we're all honest, most of us have heard this song at some point. And if you know the story behind it, it's very impactful. But I was reminded of this song several weeks ago. didn't hear it. It just popped into my head. Hence this message today. When he said, I know I don't belong here in heaven. When he said, I can't stay here in heaven. It reminded me of what the former cocaine addict, the former drug addict of his own admission. This is what he wrote. This is what sin does. This is all about worldliness and all of these things. It leaves you with no value. And he thinks in his mind, somehow, that even if I did make it to heaven, I don't belong there. Number two, if I make it to heaven... At some point, God's going to realize I don't belong there and He's going to kick me out. It's the attitude of what our world and our culture and sin and all the demonic forces, this is what they produce in people. That maybe God has great things for everybody else, but not you. Because you're worthless, you're useless, you don't belong Your parents should have never had you. You should have been aborted as a child. I know people that were told that by their own parents. We should have had you aborted before you was even born. I've heard that testimony over. This is what sin does. And I'm not here to elaborate on that point. What I'm here to elaborate on is when grace steps into the room. It doesn't matter whether your parents wanted you or not. It doesn't matter if your last church wanted you or not. It doesn't matter if you're accepted on your job or not. That's not what matters. What matters is when God steps into your life, He suddenly gives you this realization that He wants you to know your worth. To Him, you were worth dying for. To Him, you were worth Him giving His life for. God gave everything that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. So that's why I blessed all these horrible people. And said and such were some of you. But you've been sanctified. You've been cleansed. You've been washed. Because of the grace of God. One more thing and I'm done. I don't suppose any of us belong in heaven. But because of grace, I, now I have a right to be there. I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. But here's my conclusion. I'm done. William Cowper, wrote a, he wrote a song of his own after a severe bout with depression. Life had nothing else to offer. For him, life was over. He saw no value in living any longer. But the grace of God showed up and gave him this song. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. They lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced, he wrote. To see that fountain in His day. And there have I, though vile as He, washed all my sins away. Uh, There have I, though vile as He, washed all my sins away. Dear dying Lamb, Thy precious blood shall never lose its power. Till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Be saved. To sin no more. Ere since by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wound supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. I know in my heart today that probably everybody here feels like your relationship with God is sound and steady. But there may be one or two here today that doesn't quite feel that way. As a matter of fact, maybe you don't feel like you really know God that well at all, and maybe feeling here today, or you're coming here today, made you feel kind of awkward and weird. And do I really belong here? The devil would like for nothing more than for you to feel that way. But I've done my best today to preach to you that God doesn't feel that way. The devil leaves you feeling valueless full of condemnation and fear and loneliness and depression but God but God but God who is tender in mercy and mighty in grace sufficient in grace comes today and whispers in your ear that you belong in my family I want you to know your worth and if you'll give me a moment with your life I'll make you feel your worth I'll make you feel more valuable than your mom and dad could ever make you feel valuable. I'll make you more valuable than your friends at school make you feel. I'll give you more value than your family does. I'll give you more value than our culture does. God wants somebody here today to leave here knowing your worth. There's a person standing in this building right now that came just a number of months ago that was distraught down hardened family had crumbled around this person everything was going backwards and she walked into the church house she walked into grace and then she walked into grace again and the second grace she walked in was greater than the first one she walked in and now she's here today with a jubilant heart and will be the first to tell you that this church has become her family and she's learned her worth. Why? Because of the amazing grace of God. So while they began to play and sing softly, Grace Church, I'm asking you to be sensitive. Please don't just file this away as another Sunday morning, but we're here today on purpose. We're here today for a purpose. God wants to show somebody their worth in His kingdom. Would you just bow your head for a moment, everybody, across the building, and let's just pray. Everybody, let's pray right now as they begin to play and sing softly. God wants somebody here today to know your worth from His point of view. You don't have to live another day in sin. You don't have to live another day in misery. You don't have to live another day without hope and really nothing to look forward to tomorrow. You don't have to live another day like that. There's a God that loves you more than you could imagine. There's a God that loves you more than you'll ever know. He'll do anything. He'll knock any door down. He'll tear any wall down. He'll do whatever it takes. Come on, Grace Church, would you pray with me for a moment? God's moving here today. Somebody needs to understand that there's more hope in this world than what you think. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He'll elevate your life. He'll make your life worth living. He'll give you purpose. He'll give you understanding. He'll give you revelation. I'm inviting you today to His kingdom. Those of you that would, would you begin to gather around the front today encouraging somebody next to you to join you? Let's gather around the front today and introduce somebody to the grace of God. Somebody here today needs Him. Somebody here today needs to know their words. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everybody that would, would you come down? Feel free to pray where you stand, but let's touch God today. Let's touch the Lord today. Let's touch the Lord today, somebody. Hallelujah! Everybody talk to the Lord all over the building. Would you talk to the Lord? Everybody talk to the Lord today. Everybody talk to him.